Good morning. It is great to see you. This year we are going to be a, a site, a drop-off site for Operation Christmas Child. Um, Grand Prairie does not have an Operation Christmas Child drop-off for those boxes. And so they asked us if we would be a part. Gene Carson is helping us. And uh, this year we're going to be doing, uh, taking those boxes. One of the things that I love about this is that not only is, are they giving a gift, but you're actually making sure that the local church then also has the resources to disciple kids for salvation and to follow Jesus Christ in a lifelong uh, journey. And so I am so thankful for what they do in Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child. And so we're glad to be partnering with them. Out in the foyer, you'll find boxes. Some of the kids were already helping put together boxes. If you're interested in grabbing a box and even figuring out how to do it, you can even take and track those boxes to find out where your box goes around the world. And it's pretty exciting to watch that. And so um, you can just pick those up. We can get more boxes. We'll be receiving the boxes the week right before Thanksgiving. So that'll be coming up. And we wanted to give you a, a heads up about that. Also, the very first video that you saw, um, I don't know if you knew, but just a reminder that, that uh, the group that's heading the team, the couple that's heading the team, Heather is actually Terry Moore and Susan Moore's um, daughter. And she, she's, uh, she's, her and her husband are heading the team that you saw in the first video. And so that's part of Campus Crusade. And we're so glad that they're a part. Well, it's great to see you. Let me ask you, how good do you have to be in order to go to heaven? Where does it stop? How good is it? Do you have to go to church like three days, three times a week? Maybe, maybe you have to pray at least five times a day. Maybe that will get you in. So how good is good enough? And when do you know if you had enough good that your good's going to outweigh the bad? When do you know? Isn't that the point of religion? Isn't that the point of what we talk about and think about when we talk religion, we're talking about, Hey, I need to do more things so that God is pleased with me. I need to do more so that God says, oh, look, that person's a good person. Many times people don't even want to come into a church building because they're afraid that they haven't been good enough. So they have to try to clean up their lives before they ever come to church so that maybe, maybe God will still say that they're okay. What is missions all about? Is missions exporting religion? Is that what we're here for? Is that what we're trying to do? When we talk about missions, are we trying to just say, here's some more good things that you should be doing, and if you do enough good, then you'll be okay. Is that what we're trying to do? Hopefully the answer is no. But maybe you're not for sure what we're all about. Maybe you're not for sure what we're trying to export. So here's what we're going to do. Matthew chapter 5, you have your Bibles. We're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through what Jesus talks about. And here's what he's going to do. How good is good enough? Jesus actually answers that. He says, if you want to get to heaven, all you have to do is be better, be more perfect, more religious than the greatest religious people in the world. Now, that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this time. That's a huge statement, isn't it? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk through Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to walk through. Now, typically, I like to do three verses, five verses, maybe six. But today, you chose the right day to come. I'm going to do 28 verses. All right, so buckle up, get ready. Matthew 5, we're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to be going all the way through the end of the chapter today. So you might need to get your pens out. You might need to get ready. Buckle up, prepare your minds, because we're going to hit it hard today. Okay, you ready? Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter five, and here's where Jesus answers the questions. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, what? Enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am thankful for this day and I'm thankful for this time. I'm thankful for just the opportunity to be able to look into your word. God, I pray that as we look into your word, that God, you would show up. I pray that your spirit would minister to our hearts and God, you would speak into our lives. Father, I pray that the the songs that we have sung have come from a hearts of worship and that God, it has been a sweet sound in your ear. And God, I'm asking now, would you please meet with us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Typically, when we say the Pharisees and Sadducees, we, we, we automatically start thinking bad people. But let me just make sure we understand who these people were. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, these guys were not just sad. These guys were the highest religious people in the community and in the time. The Pharisees, they had memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's including Leviticus. Most of us haven't even read Leviticus. And here they are, they have memorized the entire first five books of the Old Testament. They knew knew it inside and out. Matter of fact, you ready for this? They were so religious, they had certain prayers that they would say throughout the day, and they had a certain number of times that they would pray. They even had laws at least 360 up to 400 laws additional to the word of God so that they would ensure that they would not break any of the commands of God. These guys were religious. These guys knew the Bible, they knew it, and yet they were even on top of it trying to add to, so that way they didn't break the word of God. Now, so when Jesus says that you have to be more righteous, you have to be better, you have to be more religious than these guys... He's actually kind of giving them a compliment. They're doing really well, but it's just not enough. Did you catch that? So here's what we're gonna do. Jesus says the statement, it's not enough. It's gotta be beyond what these religious guys are doing. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna give you six illustrations of what it means to be beyond just outward actions, okay? You and I could probably take And we could spend the next six weeks going through one illustration per week. And we could take the next six weeks and go through it. But here's what I'm afraid would happen. I'm afraid that if we did that, we would lose sight of the main point. And the main point is this. Your religious actions are not enough. You catch that? It's not enough. You have to move beyond and it has to become something from the heart. And the only way it becomes something from the heart is if Jesus Christ creates a new heart inside you and you actually begin to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we spent eight weeks last semester, last spring, going through the Beatitudes and spent a week on each one of those so that you could understand and I could understand that it's not about the outward actions, but it was about the new. You remember the boxes? You remember us talking through that? So here's where we're at. Jesus is going to give us six illustrations. We're going to spend just a few moments on each one of those. So are you ready? He's going to give you a formula. This is what you've heard. This is what you've been taught. This is what you understand. But now I'm going to give you something new. That's the formula. So are you ready? Let's watch. Matthew chapter six. Let's begin in verse 21. 
You have heard that it has been said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. Now, automatically, we can almost say, praise God, I'm good. I've never murdered anybody. Yes! Home run. Knocked it over. I mean, it's just, yes, I have not murdered anybody. That's good. And I'm proud of you. Good job. But, and this is where it's going to start stepping on our toes. But Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something new. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That puts us in a stop motion automatically, doesn't it? Anger? Wait a minute, anger. Now, didn't Jesus get angry? He did. There's a righteous anger in which God's laws and God's plan has been violated, and we can become angry at that, and that's good. But we can be angry and sin not. There's also when somebody has been hurt, maybe their rights have been abused, maybe it's a small child and they've been hurt and sinned against. It's good for you to become angry and say, wait a minute, this is not right, we need to change this. But this is not what we're talking about. This is a self-ish, self-focused anger. Wait a minute, my rights have been violated. I'm the king, how dare you offend me? And you become angry and you become upset in such a way that you become bitter and you begin to act out and you begin to hold grudges against people and you say, wait a minute, you cannot do that. And Jesus says that type of anger, hello, is on the same level as murder. You see, you and I face this problem all the time. While we're driving, somebody cuts us off. Wait a minute, I'm the king. You shouldn't cut me off, right? Our rights have been violated. So Jesus is saying, when you get angry and it's out of a selfish anger, when you have moved beyond, you have actually crossed the line. You've broken the commandment. You've broken the law. Jesus continues, he says, okay, if that's not enough, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Time out. Wait. Insults. You're an idiot. You're stupid. Insults. Are you, are you ready? Whoever just crosses the line and says, I can't believe they, they just don't understand. And you begin to cut somebody down. And in their character, you begin to lash out at them. He says, you will be liable to the council. What's the council? the highest court, the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. You're gonna face extra judgment. He's moving it out of the realm of just being murder. And he says, now even if you cross over from anger into insulting people, if that's not enough, Jesus takes it one step further. You ready? And he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You curse somebody, you put a curse on them by saying something to the fact of you're a fool, you're a reprobate, God can never use you, God can never, you are actually in danger of God condemning you to hell. Gehenna is the word. That's a little scary, isn't it? Takes us to a whole new level because I thought we were just talking about murder. I mean, murder, that's a, but anger insults, cursing somebody. So now Jesus says, okay, if that's the case and that's where you're at and you find yourself holding grudges against people and you find yourself bitter and holding anger, here's what you need to do. So if you're here in verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar there, remember that your brother has something against you. 
Leave your gift, therefore, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus makes a very clear connection. Your worship, my worship, is actually in connection to how well I'm actually loving my brothers or my sisters in Christ. How well I'm doing with the relationships, not just with me and God, but how I'm doing with people actually impacts my worship. So when I actually pray, when I pray before, I pray that our singing has been worship to God. Here's what I know and here's what I understand. That while we sing, there's only a few of you who actually worship. Why? Because only a few of you have actually understood that you have to be right with God and you have to be right with people in order to come into the presence of God and truly worship the God of the universe. If you have something against another person, that could be your wife, that could be your husband, that could be a kid, that could be friends, that could be coworkers. When you have things against them, you can't even come in and fully worship God. So that's why he calls it the equivalent of murder. Isn't that interesting? So he says, go get it right. Matter of fact, go get it right and get it right so well that you won't actually find any other hindrances. Come to the terms quickly, verse 25, with your accuser so that you don't have to go to court. You don't have to go to a judge and you don't have to go to prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid it all. Okay, how did you do? First illustration. Second illustration, you ready? The next one is dealing with adultery. Jesus says, verse 27, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery. Sweet, I'm free again. I have never slept with anybody except my wife. I'm good. But I say, you ready? Look what Jesus does now. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What? Jesus just went from the, the law and he just went beyond. Do you see how far he went? He's going beyond because he wants you to understand it's not the outward action, it's the heart that he is after. So when you look well, Heath, wait a minute. You know, what, what happens? I, I'm bombarded by all these images, by when, you know, driving down the road. To, you're right. You have, you live in a society in which there's a lot of images floating around and bombarding you. So how do you deal with that? The point's not the accidental. The point is the second look. Or when you actually put yourself in situations where you would, consistently be tempted to look. Let me just talk real plain. You ready? I find it very interesting that Christian men at this point and at this time in this age, we have become so accustomed to ladies undressing that we think it's okay to go to Hooters, bikinis, bone daddies, or any other restaurant where ladies are actually dressed very skimpy. And I think it's very interesting that we're willing to go ahead and take our sons to that and say, it's okay, go ahead and look and let's compare which one of these ladies are actually better. Oh, it's okay, I'm just looking, I'm not touching. Are you with me? We actually have a problem. You wonder why you don't hear from God. You wonder why the spirit of God is not on your life. It's because you are totally depraving of yourself of seeing God by continuing to put yourself in situations where you're gonna lust. 
and commit adultery over and over again. Jesus says, don't even look. Remember Job, the Old Testament pro, uh, guy who had everything fall apart on his life? What did he do? He says, when he's making his commitment to God, and he's saying, God, look how righteous I've been. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I would not even look on the young ladies. Do you remember that? We actually need some men to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, time out. We're not gonna watch this stuff anymore. Whether it's on your TV, whether it's in the movie house, or whether it's on your phone and you just like to take peeks and glances. Whether it's the restaurants you choose, man, it's time to rise up. And if you don't think it's very serious, look at the next part, you ready? This is Jesus speaking. Now, this is gonna be fun for you. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. The right side signified your strength, your power, your dignity. He says, if it's the right side, even if it's the strongest part of you, cut it off, get rid of it. Now, some of the early church fathers, St. Anthony, he became so convicted as he read this verse and this passage that he decided to leave where he was at. And he, he went to Egypt, to the desert, and spent 35 years living in solitude, trying to get away from this. He, even, he said that even in the desert, Satan still found him. Why? Because his heart is still with him. Origen, one of the early church fathers who lived around 200. You ready for this? He became so convicted with this verse, he actually had himself castrated. I'm not recommending that. So all the guys just sit back and say, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> okay. So we're not, we're not, I'm not in. Well, here's what I want to show you. When was the last time you actually took drastic steps? so that you kept your purity and you actually followed 100% after God. You see, the hard part is this, is that Jesus is saying, you should be willing to do whatever it takes to see that your heart becomes and fully follows after Jesus Christ, him. That's amazing. Okay, maybe you're doing okay so far. Let's move on. How about this one? Ready? Divorce, number 31, verse 31. It has also been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. Here's what's happening. In Moses, Moses told about how that you were to, if you needed to get divorced, then you needed to give a bill or a certificate that said, we are now divorced. So here's what's happening. In the Roman time, divorce was very easy. You didn't like what your wife was doing, no problem. And they would get divorced over and over again. It was very easy, very common. So the Jewish society actually had this kind of begin to filter into them. And what was going on was this. The church leader said, it's okay if you need to get divorced, just make sure you give her a piece of paper, a bill or a certificate. So if you don't like the way your wife is making your dinner and she hasn't changed and you told her, well, you just give her a certificate of divorce and you can be out of it. You don't like the way your, your wife makes the bed. You don't like the way your wife, she doesn't talk to you very nice. You could get a divorce and it was okay. You have not broken the law as long as you gave a certificate of divorce. So it was easy divorce. You following? 
So here's what Jesus does. And many people want to come here and they want to, they want to argue that Jesus has given an in-depth teaching on divorce. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is very simply going against the time and what the religious leaders are doing. He's saying, stop the easy divorce. But I'm telling you, whoever, ready? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, he gives a, makes it no longer easy. No longer is it easy. Now he says it has to be, you have to take it further. Unless there's been sexual immorality, there shouldn't be easy divorce. And then he says this, because what you're doing is you're actually making her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman also is committing adultery. You Jewish leaders, you Jewish people, what you're doing by having easy divorce is that you are actually making more people commit adultery. You gotta stop. You see, marriage from the very beginning was designed to do what? Represent God. It was designed to be one man, one woman, one lifetime. Marriage is almost becoming something of the past. The Pew Social Trends found this. They did some research and they were talking about married adults. In 1960, 72% of all adults were married in 1960. 2008, it had dropped to 52% of all adults were married. 1960, those who were in their 20s, 68% of all those who were in their 20s were married. By 2008, 26% of all those in their 20s are married. The U.S. Census Bureau tells us this. From 1990 to 2010, cohabitation has doubled. Let's just talk real plain. You ready? From the very beginning, it has been one man, one woman. Genesis all the way through. Because marriage gives a picture, gives a type of God's love for his people. In the Old Testament, it was God's love for his covenant people. And when they began to go after other gods, God actually said they were whoring after other gods. Marriage is a human connection of what is God, what God has done with us. It is a picture. In the New Testament, you move in. What does marriage begin to represent? It represents for us, Jesus Christ, who is considered the groom and the church. The New Testament believers are now what? The bride of Christ. I know it's not popular, but here's what we need to come back to. We need to understand there is a reason for marriage. And if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christ follower, one who is wanting to follow after Jesus Christ, living together and not being married is actually a sin. And what God is calling you to do is to man up and marry her. Well, I don't know if I love her. I don't know if I like her. Then stop living together until you're sure. Because what we have to do is we need to stop thinking that divorce and marriage is no big deal. We can just do it any time we want. Jesus is calling for a higher standard than easy divorce. Next, that one didn't take care of you. Let's go to number four. You ready? 
Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So here's what they were doing. You've heard it before that you're supposed to tell the truth, but you could swear. And as long as you were swearing to the Lord in the Lord's name, then it was, you had to do it. But if you were swearing to something else, you didn't have to do it. So it's basically like that game in elementary school where kids say, I promise, I promise, cross my heart. You ever play that game? You can trust me, poke a needle in my eye, liar, liar, all those things. And then as soon as the person believes, what happens? Ah, my fingers are crossed. What they were doing is saying, I promise you, I swear to the heavens. I swear by earth and that as long as earth is around, I swear to you, this is gonna happen. They would even say, I swear by my head. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You guys have completely missed that whole idea and the concept of telling the truth. So here's what he says. Jesus now speaks and he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool footstool of, of God, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Well, we now dye a hair, so you could probably do that, but not thinking. You can't think out loud and all of a sudden say, okay, God, get rid of the, the, the white hair. Let me say you simply, yes or no, anything more, this comes from evil. As a Christ follower, one who's gonna live following after the king in his kingdom, you and I, you ready? You and I, when we say something, we should do it, period. Truthful, honesty, that's how it works. I'm gonna say something and I'm gonna be truthful and you know that I'm gonna be truthful. That's how we live, no longer trying to trick people by saying, I'm gonna say just enough so that they believe me, but I'm not gonna actually tell them the full truth so that I can trap them or I can trick them. I'm gonna tell them the truth. No more manipulation. Do you remember back in March, March Madness, any basketball fans? Yes, no, only a few of you. Um, Okay, a few of you basketball fans, everybody else will maybe not know the story. BYU was in the running for the final four and they were very excited about running and going to the championship. They hadn't had a team in a long time. News broke that one of their star players had actually broken the honor code. You ever heard of the honor code? They broke the honor code and so they suspended the player. The honor code that he broke was that he actually had slept with his girlfriend. And so BYU suspended him and it actually shattered and no longer were they able to make it to the final four. Let me give you the rest of the honor code. You ready? Be honest, live a chaste life, Obey the law and the campus police. That one I've had trouble with. (laughs) Use clean language. Respect others. Abstain from alcohol, tobacco, tea, coffee, and substance abuse. Participate in church. Observe the dress code and encourage others in their commitment to comply with the honor code. The nation became in an uproar. All the sports... Radio shows, TV shows, they were all talking about, can you believe that BYU would actually enforce this? In a day and age in which athletes can do really whatever they want, they can get in trouble with the law. This kid just simply slept with his girlfriend. Why in the world are we having such a big deal? And then finally other people started talking and said, maybe, just maybe, this is a good move. Let me ask you something. Why is it that it's so abnormal 
even for Christians to tell the truth. Jesus says, yes, be yes, no, be no. No more manipulating, no more going back and forth. Yes, yes, no, no. Okay, continue on. You doing okay so far? You hanging in there? Tell me, it's it's tough. Okay, you ready? Retaliation, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You've heard this, right? Here's what was happening in Jesus' day. It was a free license to get even with whoever you needed to get even with. So if they hurt you, it was a free license to actually go and attack them. If they demeaned you, if they were rude to you, they disrespected you, it was a free license. I can disrespect them back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The problem was, is that's not ever what the intent was for. So Jesus comes back and he says, it's not about easy retaliation. That was designed, that was designed, you ready? For Moses and the government to make sure that the punishment fit the crime. That was it. It does not give you free license. So now Jesus is what he's gonna do. He's gonna flip it upside down and now here's what he's, he's gonna push on some buttons. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now I've heard this one and I've heard parents even use it and they like to use it as if, if somebody punches you, you cannot punch them back. Turn the other cheek. So get the stuff knocked out of you. That's not what he's talking about. Yeah, that was a good word, wasn't it, stuff? (laughs) Here's what he's moving you towards. When somebody disrespects you, because the slap was a sign of irreverence and disrespect. When somebody would slap you and humiliate you in public, then you are not to go to their level and disrespect them back but you are to maintain your integrity and handle it correctly. Isn't that interesting? Okay, if you don't like that one, Jesus now moves to another level and he says, okay, if they disrespect you, you need to make sure that you handle it correctly. Turn the other cheek. Verse 40, and if anyone sues you and take your tunic, let him your cloak as well. So you go to court and you're in court and somebody brings, a, uh, brings a, something against you. And the courts have decided that you actually owe them. The courts could say, go ahead and take his shirt and you have to give them your shirt. You usually would have two or three shirts. But the court would never cross the line and saying you have to now also give them the outer jacket that you're wearing because most people only had one. But you have been proven in court that you have wronged them. So Jesus says, don't even just give them the shirt. Go above and beyond to make sure that it's right. Go ahead and give them that outer. Go ahead and get rid of that security that you're hanging on to. Get rid of the security and just go ahead and trust God. Look at the next part. Jesus continues on. He says, okay, if anyone, okay, verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. The Romans had the opportunity. The Romans had the privilege. It, since they conquered the Jews, If a Roman soldier was tired of carrying his sword, his stuff, what he would end up doing is this. He would take a Jew and he would say, you now need to carry it. And by law, you were obligated to carry the Roman's gear for at least one mile. And so when somebody comes and they treat you like a slave, Jesus is saying, instead of just being upset and being mad, 
why don't you go ahead and walk the mile and then just on top of it, yes, you had to rearrange your day because somebody asked you to, go ahead and rearrange your day and go ahead and walk one more mile with them just to demonstrate how that God has changed your life. Above and beyond service. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who borrows from you. So instead of retaliating, instead of getting even, if somebody is begging you and somebody is in true need, why don't you go ahead and do above and beyond what you could even do? have Have you caught on that the law is actually pretty easy to do if you're just doing the bare minimum? But if you're actually moving beyond religion, if you're moving to the heart of what God is after, it's tough. It's almost impossible. So Jesus gives us one more illustration. You ready? To move beyond just the law. Here's the last one. He says, okay. The last one is this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say to hate your enemies, except when God says, go in and actually conquer and kill everybody. That's the only place where God says, go in and kill everybody. But there's not a teaching in the Old Testament where it says that you're to hate your neighbor or hate your enemies. So Jesus comes in, he says, I want to show you something. I want you to love your enemies. He doesn't use just an easy Greek word. He doesn't use, there's four different levels of of love. He doesn't use the first one or the second one, those easy ones. He doesn't even use the third one. He goes all the way to the point of saying, you need to agape. You need to love unconditionally as if God were there with no thought of what they can do for you. You are to love and care for your enemies. I don't know if I can do that. So he begins to move you and he presses you to love them. Here's what it means to start loving your enemies. That person at work that you don't like, that you don't care for, he says, take it to another level and start praying for them. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see, your heavenly father, even while you were his enemy, he sent Jesus to die for you. On the good and the bad people in this world, he gives us rain, praise God. He gives you blessings, not just based on you being good, but because he is so good. He gives, and because he is so good, he is now calling you to a higher standard, not just loving the people that you want to love, because the Sadducees had actually so worked it out. And the Pharisees had so worked it out. You ready for this? They could say, I'm loving my neighbor by just loving these religious people who are in this room. I don't have to love the Gentiles. I don't have to love the Samaritans. I don't even have to love the poor. Those people are bad. And that was the entire point when Jesus actually tells the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan. As he's breaking and shattering that your enemy Your neighbor is anybody you're close to that you can actually minister to. You are to do good. And Jesus finishes and he says this, verse 47. And if you greet, or verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus stops and he says, listen, guys, you're just living the way the world's living. It's time to actually change. It's time to be different than them. And then he gives us this last end and he says, now be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
Is there anybody in this room? You don't have to raise your hand. Can you do this perfectly? The answer is no. If anything, it should right now, you should be feeling the weight of going, that's crazy talk. I can't do this. And there is no way you or I can do this except that God has created us new in Jesus Christ. We are now new creatures and he's given us the Holy Spirit to actually live this out. You cannot do it on your own. That is why you need Jesus Christ. That is why you have to go beyond religion and actually get to Jesus Christ. Because you cannot just do enough good to get there. I so want you to understand that. And when you actually move beyond to Jesus Christ, what begins to happen is as a new creature, you begin to desire God more and you're willing to get rid of any hindrances, any sin in your life so that you actually see him more. It's not a sacrifice at all. So let me end with three things, ready? Three things real quick and it'll be very quickly done. We are pursuing God, not activity. Do not miss the point of this message. We are pursuing God and not just religious activity. Walk out of here understanding that it's about God and actually knowing him more. It's not just about adding new rules to your life. Number two, seek to know the heart of God beyond the law. What does the law do for you? It helps you understand who God is. Watch. When I say to my kids, the Bible tells us not to lie. Well, that's a good, that's great. And I want my kids to understand that. But here's what I want them to understand more than that. The reason that you don't lie is not because God said not to, and it's not because mommy and daddy says you don't lie. You ready? I want to take them beyond the law to the God who gave it. Why did God give us this? Was God just trying to be mean? No. God wants us to experience him more and experience him more fully. So why would God say not to lie? You ready? He says not to lie because he is truth and he never lies to us. And because he never lies to us, he wants us to become more like him. And he gives us his power so that you and I don't have to lie. Do you see how we just move beyond the law and beyond religion all the way to God and who God is? I want to do that every time with my kids. I want that, to do that every time with you. Move beyond the law so that you actually see the God and interact with the God who's, who gave it. The last thing is this. I don't know what kind of background you came from, whether you came from a very strong legalistic side in which you say, I don't want any kind of rules and you re repulse against it and you push back. Or if you came from this side over here that says it's all about grace and I don't have to live following any laws, I can do whatever I want. I don't know which side you come from and I don't know what your background is or what creates tension in your life. But from this passage, it is very clear. In order to actually enjoy God, I need to radically commit myself to allowing him to change my life so that it lines up with this book. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you to move beyond religion and to actually become committed to radically changing your life so that your life lines up with scripture so that you begin to see more of God, so that you can actually worship God at a new level.